1: The man who has everything. Everything.
2: Everything. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you, Maggie. I don't like her. So what brings you to town, Conrad?
0: Everything all right? October 12th. Nikki's birthday. This is for you. Consumer Recreation Services. Call that number. Why? They make your life fun. What are you selling? It's a game game specifically tailored for each participant. John chapter nine verse 25. Whereas once I was blind, now I can see. Now I can see. One day your game begins. You either love it or hate it. Are you going to spend the rest of the evening prying at that clown's mouth? Mr. Van Orton, is everything all right? Ah, Mr. Van Orton.
2: Have we met? I believe so.
0: Why
1: are you following me? Find out about a company called Consumer Recreation Services. They won't stop Nick. He's in on it. I paid the bill. I paid him more to make it stop. I need the police who's gonna break into my house. I need to avoid a bunch
0: of depraved children. They're trying to kill me. Who's behind this? Why? This is all the game. Right
2: now, I am extremely dangerous. You're behind the whole thing, aren't
0: you? No! They make your life.
1: 1997, where were you when the film called The Game was released? Starring Michael Douglas, Sean Penn. And we're going to review that film today. Today's the day it happens. And starring Deborah Kara Unger. We'll talk about why that matters. But what you probably weren't ready for when i teased you to watch this movie last week on the uh, the most recent show there where we talked about netflix episode one of unsolved mysteries with ray rivera i told you how this movie from 1997 fits into that case that mystery and today we will go through the whole film And we're going to talk about the secret societies, the White Rabbits, yes, initiations, Illuminati pyramids, and guess what else? Guess what else we're going to talk about? Dave Chappelle. How does Dave Chappelle fit into this? Well, you just got to stay tuned. I promise you, it's going to be worth it. Now, needless to say, plot spoilers on spoilers on spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. Come back. It's a great movie. Uh, It's a David Fincher movie, just like Fight Club and Seven. He was on fire back then, back in those uh, mid-90s movies were great. The movie is about two hours, as you know, violating my 90-minute rule, but hey, some of the greatest movies are over 90 minutes. I'm just saying, I like my movies at 90, and I like my books at 200, you know what I'm saying? The, uh, if it's two hours, it does feel a touch long, though. I'll tell you that. They could have, they, maybe they could have found a way to make this 90. It would have been an even better movie. But I would put it on the scale of like where to go with this thing. I would buy it because I've seen it maybe five times over my lifetime. I used to rent it at the Blockbuster because I would, and not because like I wanted to see it that many, many times, it's because I saw it and I would meet up with someone. And they had never seen it. And I thought, oh, you got to see this. It's going to blow your mind. So I'd rent it. But, so yeah, I, you know, I saw it for free on my cable cable bill that I pay. So kind of free, not really. But if you're going to go pay cash for it, eh, I don't know. I wouldn't pay more than 10 bucks for it. It's not that good. But it's good. It reminded me a little bit of, you know, back in the day, Resident Evil was a popular game on that PlayStation 1. You know, and that's what it reminded me of, a little secret keys and code words and all that stuff. So, yeah, there you go. There's your warning plot spoilers coming up. Go watch it come back. All right, I've got some news for you. Some news. I'm excited to announce we've got a sponsor for the show, and it's one I can get behind. So, listen up. What interferes with your happiness? Is there something preventing you from achieving your goals? I know I've had that situation. I always do. If you read my book, The Dark Path, then you already know that I've been to a therapist, a counselor for many years since my father passed away in 2012 uh, because it was interfering with my happiness. I was trying to find a way to fill a void and I wasn't understanding what was happening. And I had to talk it out with someone because, you know, you can talk to your friends and family, but they don't have the tools necessary to help you analyze what's going on. And guess what? I still use that same counselor to this very day when I need to. But I got lucky because I found the right therapist, which leads me to our great sponsor, BetterHelp. H E L P. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in in a safe and private online environment. Super convenient you can start communicating in under 24 hours which isn't something you can get everywhere and look i've been i've been in this uh counseling game for many years many years there's a lot of great things about better help it's not just self-help it's profet- uh, professional counseling you can send the message to your counselor at any time it's not something you get with everyday counselors uh, you get timely and thoughtful responses. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room. You know, I currently would have to drive 20 minutes. I'd have to find a parking spot, walk up a couple flights of stairs. But BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches that make it easy and free to change counselors. That's a huge thing, it's a huge deal. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. Available for clients worldwide. There's a broad range of expertise available when uh, it may not be locally available in the area that you're at. They've got licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, all these things. Sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts. I know you've got the, an- the family conflicts. We all do LGBT matters, which this is an LGBTQ friendly show right here, folks, grief, self esteem, all these things you could work on with a professional counselor. Anything you share is confidential. It's, uh, you know, convenient, It's professional, it's affordable. You got to check out their testimonials on their website. Uh, in fact, so many people have been using better help. That they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of this show, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash IlluminatiWatcher. Join over a million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash IlluminatiWatcher. You want to get off the big pharma stuff if you can. And guess what? This is one way you can do it. You take charge of your own life. Do it the right way. You won't be disappointed. Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com backslash Illuminati Watcher. Get 10% off your first month. Check it out. Now, the movie starts out. It's a flashback to... um, It starts out with opening credits. And it's like he's flashing back to his childhood. And you can see he grew up in a, a waspy sort of family. And what's curious is there's in the sequence there, you see them push him into the pool. Yes, they push him into the pool. That's a a foreshadowing technique there. And then you see, you know, at some point in this movie, they they do random flashbacks. But you see the catalyst for this whole thing. His dad, his wealthy father, uh, commits suicide off the roof of that house that he is reminiscing upon. And we'll go into that in a bit. So, you know, he wakes up from the flashback and it's present day, San Francisco. Michael Douglas is playing Nicholas Van Orton. He's an investment banker, which matters to the Ray Rivera story. And if you haven't listened to my Ray Rivera Unsolved Mysteries show, I'd advise you to do it. You don't have to. It's not required for this, but it fits into it nicely. So he's this wealthy investment banker, sort of taken after his father, obviously, he's and he's kind of a modern day Ebenezer Scrooge. He's wealthy, he's a total ass, everyone hates him, he's a no-nonsense guy, no cooth, no sympathy, cold-blooded. Very much like Wall Street a little bit, right? Then we're introduced to his brother, Sean Penn, he's the more likable character, his name is Conrad in the movie, a.k.a. Connie. And he's kind of depicted as a loser, couldn't really ever get it together, dropped out of college, tried a little bit of meth back in the day, smoking cigarettes in the restaurant. Very 90s move. That was controversial, I don't know if you know that back then. I remember walking around the uh, shopping mall, people used to smoke cigarettes. Can you imagine people smoking cigarettes at a restaurant? I remember it. Then Conrad, Sean Penn, he's talking to Nicholas, Michael Douglas, and he's like, hey, your birthday's coming up October 12th. And and Nicholas is like, no, 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 it's October 11th. And it was kind of a weird out of place moment, but I keep my eyes peeled for things such as this. And if you're already with me, you know what happens on October 12th. That is the birthday of Aleister Crowley, born in 1875. I believe it's still celebrated to this day by the occultists. So they made a little point to make it out of the movie. Eh, maybe it's uh pertinent, maybe it's not. Then uh, Sean Penn, Conrad, Connie, he's like, Hey, I got you a gift. It's, um, and he gives him the invitation. It's CRS. Consumer Recreation Services. He says, It's an invitation. It's going to be an entertainment, but it's a profound life experience. And Nicholas looks at the letter and it's got the triangle logo for CRS on there, the triangle there, the manifestation symbol. And Conrad's like, Well, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And we kind of get the implication that this was the event that turned his life around cuz like we heard earlier he was uh, doing meth earlier and he kind of turned it around and they kind of also imply that like he only comes into town to visit Nicholas when he needs some money cuz he's such a loser well then th- then we get the flashback of his father standing on top of the house ready to jump cuz it was on daddy's old uh, daddy warbucks here's 48th birthday is when he jumped off the roof, and it's Nicholas's 48th birthday on in this movie. And the, and I think Connie is worried that Nicholas is going to do himself in like Paul Dukes did. And Nicholas is like, whatever, dude, okay. And he says he thinks it's a self-improvement cult. But he, he gives in and he shows up. He goes up to the place where the invitation tells him to go. He goes up to the 14th floor... And they, they put him through this whole rigmarole, this intensive pre-qualifying information that they need for him to have the game. And uh, the que- they ask him many questions, including, like, does he feel guilty when he masturbates? Or does he ever feel like hurting small animals? Now, this reminded me of Epstein. Because if you recall, the theory going is that he would get blackmail on high-profile folks through hooking them up with the uh, kids, you know? And you hear this many times through the secret societies. Uh, There's theories that, like Skull and Bones and such, that they force their initiates to conduct homosexual things and take their photos as a way of blackmail. And of course, this is back when, and I'd argue that it's still a little taboo and controversial to engage in homosexual activity but that's the theory or so it goes now when he gets done with it he's kind of getting fed up with the whole thing and nicholas gets done with the interview process he goes to his little country club he's playing the racquetball and i want you to hear this clip it's a little longer it's the tail end of a phone conversation between conrad and nicholas talking about the organization about how it's in other countries and uh you know nicholas is at the country club and he happens to overhear in the locker room some other people talking about the the uh, how it's a family owned organization and then he talks to them at the bar about some of these ideas take a listen by the way I went to CRS really what'd you think well they seemed just a little bit disorganized well when I did it in London they'd been around a while are you gonna do this no I haven't decided yet Tell me it's like getting in on the ground
0: floor in I exited CRS won't go public. They're family owned. Mm-hmm. Stranger things have happened. No, they haven't, actually. They opened here? The game in San Francisco? See? They're doing fine without anyone.
2: ones. Oh, <laughs> James, good evening. Good yeah. evening, sir. Yeah, members here believe so, sir. Put the next round on me. Gotcha.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Last time I played pebble, I swore I'd never pick up another club again. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking about games, I couldn't help but overhear you talking about CRS. Well, the reason I mention it is, I took the test today at the Montgomery Street office. You did? Kudos. So, yours hasn't started yet? No, not yet. That was one of the questions I had for you. What is it? Uh, what is it? The eternal question. You know, I envy you. I wish I could go back and do it for the first time all over again.
0: Here's the new experiences.
1: Oh, you excuse me, I gotta go. Good night, Ted. Mm. Nicholas. Nice to meet you.
0: So you played recently? Oh, about a year ago. I was uh, working in Los Angeles. I hear the London office is very good, too. Sounds like a lot of
2: fantasy role-playing nonsense, though.
0: You want to know what it is? What it's all about? John, chapter 9, verse 25. I um, haven't been to Sunday school in a long time. Whereas once I was blind. Now I can see. Good night, Nicholas. Best of luck. Good night.
1: So you hear them, they say, you know, CRS won't go public. They're family owned. Uh, The branch that Conrad did, it was in London. Which... Which argues that it's kind of like the umbrella, like our recent guest Charlie Robinson talks about the global octopus of control. It's saying it's an international organization here. And then even more crazy, Nicholas asks, what is the eternal question? And the man who's in the know, those that have been initiated already say, you want to know what it is? Check out John 925. Where once I was blind, now I can see, well, what is that the reference to? What could it be? It is, of course, a Luciferian reference, because that's what arguably all these secret societies are into. The wisdom of Lucifer opening their eyes. And I read my Orthodox study Bible explanation for that passage. And here's what it says. I'm going to read you verbatim. It says, This healed man becomes a model of Christian witness. Many people do not bear witness to Christ because they fear they will be asked questions they cannot answer. This man's answer to people much more educated than he provides the solution. He admits what he does not know, but follows up with what he does know. The formula that I don't know, but what I do know is this, is foundational to witnessing one's faith to others. Now, if you read the actual verse, it says... Um. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Because this is in the section Those who see and those who do not. And the man born blind sees. From what I gather, it's a parable of Seeing the truth in Jesus Christ as God. Now you'll notice there's not one reference to religion in this film. So what are they talking about? Well, to me, it's like how the early Gnostics were the heretics. And it's like how they and these Luciferians insist on inverting absolutely everything. So in the Bible, when it says the man who is blind sees meaning he comes to the light of Christ, for them, it's the man being having his eyes opened to the Luciferian serpent, who told Adam and Eve they can be like gods once he opens their eyes in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die by death, for God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will you will be like gods knowing good and evil. So there you go. And it's the reference to the pineal gland, the third eye, the all-seeing eye, all the same reference here. And they put it in this sort of subdued, inverted reality that only the initiates understand. So when they're talking about how they worship wisdom, and they worship the sun... S-U-N, and their eyes are open. It's all vague allegory for the truth that they understand. That's why, and we're going to get into the sheep thing. There's a bit of a sheep Freemason reference at the end of the movie, which will support some of this theory that I'm building here, okay? At this point, Nicholas is told by CRS, like, hey, we rejected your application. But we know not really, okay? Because the game actually starts here. It's the initiation. It's kind of like in Fight Club, also directed by David Fincher, where they're denied entry. Remember that? Brad Pitt, wa- Brad Pitt walks out and he's like, you're too fat, fatty. Go home. And like, if you hang out long enough, you'll get initiated into Project Mayhem. Now, throughout the game, Nicholas is given some keys, which are all meant to... Make him question the nature of reality, the uh, lesser and greater keys of Solomon, some could argue, to channel spirits. Not really what you see in the movie, but, you know, let's throw that out there. Nicholas is talking to the TV, and uh, and he's like, well, this is impossible. Why is the TV talking to me? And the host is like, right, just like how you're having a conversation with your TV right now. And this is a reference to Alice in Wonderland, because that's kind of what this movie is a parallel for. And you know, because you've read my books, I wrote a book called Alice and Rocky Harland. It's a a compilation of many uh, analyses. One of them of which is the story of Alice in Wonderland. It's an initiatory tale. It is changing the mental constructs, which I would credit for uh, making me question everything that I've been told. Because as you've heard my life saga here. I grew up not watching any Disney movies. None of them. Zero. Except for Alice in Wonderland. My babysitters would come over. They had the VHS tape in color. And what a sweet day that was. Seen it a few times as a child. I loved it. Absolutely loved Alice in Wonderland. Blew my mind. But what it does is it makes... Because Alice is on an initiatory adventure following the White Rabbit... She goes underground, and she is woken up to questioning the nature of reality through surreal experiences, which is kind of what Nicholas has when he starts talking to his television. Then, he's like, well, where's the camera at? And he turns around, and boom, it's in the clown. He's got to go punch that clown. (laughs) He's punching the clown. He's got the camera, and it's not only in the clown, it's in the all-seeing eye of the clown. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Go to my Instagram, at Isaac Weishaupt. I've got the photo. I'll load it up there. Then he sets the house alarm before he goes to bed. A very overt part of the movie. You know, there's nothing in these movies that they don't want you to see for a reason. And it's kind of like he's starting to question things. He's a little scared, a little paranoid. But if you recall, on the Unsolved Mysteries show, Ray Rivera also had a situation where he was getting paranoid and his alarm actually was getting tripped. The police said it was a squirrel. Allison and Ray both knew it wasn't a squirrel. Who was it? The Illuminati. Then he um, he was given a pen at CRS to fill the application that I could keep the pen. And it leaks some blue ink on his shirt. Now to me, there's a couple ideas here. You've got this idea of the blue ink, that's like the blue blood. He is leaking out the blue blood, um, which is also in that Rage Against the Machine song. Said it was blue when the blood was red. Meaning we're all the same, right? There's no, there's no higher status there of a blue blood over a red blood. But anyways, it could be just an indicator that he's a blue blood. You know, some kind of symbology on the film there. And the guy sitting across from him on the bus is like, hey man, you got a mess going on. And that guy turns out later to be the guy running CRS. And it was almost like the pen was a marker. He was a mark. Now, Nicholas goes to a place called Little Bear Books Publishing for his job. Talks to this guy named Anson Bear. I I looked into that. There's actually an Anson Bear in Estonia. I thought maybe it was a, a trick Deceptive part of uh, the game that maybe they made a website kind of like Nine Inch Nails did with their year zero stuff Not really then we're introduced to a a server in the restaurant Who runs into Nicholas and spills red wine all over his shirt, so he goes from the blue to the red Similar concept we saw in the matrix the blue and the red pill. She takes the red pill, which they claim is the blood of Christ. The truth, the way, the eyes being opened, but to them, it's a Luciferian concept. But curiously enough, this is Deborah Kara Unger. She is also in the David Cronenberg film, Crash, which I just saw for the very first time. Definitely not a safer work movie. And, uh, in fact, this was the film she did right after Crash. Now, okay, where are we at here? Okay, so Nicholas, he he gets covered in the red wine, then he gets a check, and it says, don't let her get away, which is exactly like saying, follow the White Rabbit, which is what you see in The Matrix. Uh, and she, of course, plays the role of the White Rabbit, and he follows her lead, and then we get the strange turn of events because now he goes from this sort of like alpha bro dick investment banker to sort of like following along and scared puppy dog. Nonetheless, the I think her name is Christine. Yeah, Christine in the movie played by Deborah Kerr Unger. She is the White Rabbit and Nicholas is following her on the journey of initiation, much like Alice in Wonderland. Then he goes to the Hotel Nico, which is a play on words. Uh, The Greek form of the word Nicholas. Nico. So he goes to the Hotel Nicholas there, the Hotel Nico, and finds a setup. And there's all these photos of him making sexy time with Christine. That's the server, the White Rabbit. And doing lines of coke. And there's uh, Polaroids of them everywhere doing all this stuff. Some form of blackmail, just like we talked about earlier. Part of the scheme there. And he, he doesn't really know, like, did he pass out and do all those things? Or is this, like, set up to blackmail him? But he's mad now, okay? Then a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens. And he goes home, and someone vandalized the home, and there's a song blaring. And it is, of course, uh... The... Oh, I don't remember the name of it. The, the White Rabbit song. Jefferson uh, Starship? Is that what it is? Let's look it up. Because there's, uh... There's, there's graffiti all over the walls and blacklight stuff. Jefferson airplane, white rabbit is the name, you know, the song one pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. So that's blaring more evidence of the white rabbit. Then he's like, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. So he gets in a taxi driven by the actor, Tommy Flanagan. This is one of his first films. He did a ton of great stuff like Westworld and Sons of Anarchy. And then, you know, he crashes the taxi in the water. And he has to use, And Nicholas has to use one of the puzzle pieces given to him for the game to get out to save his life. And things are getting real scary. Like, he's he's close to dying here. <laughs> I mean, they're damn near killing the guy. They're drowning him almost. So he's, he's getting scared now. He's got this confrontation with death, which, you know... You know where we're going with that. He has this confrontation with death. And he's like, I'm going back to the headquarters. He goes to the CRS headquarters and there's nothing left. They packed up They're ghost. So he's like, what the hell? He hooked back up with the white rabbit, Christine. And she's like, hey, uh, so they drained all your accounts and money. Sorry, I didn't know what this was about. They paid me to be your server at the restaurant. And he's like, well, damn. So they, they kind of run away. And he eventually gets caught. He gets knocked out. And he wakes up in a coffin in a Mexican cemetery. Again, I'll put the the picture. If you're like me, you're a sucker for mysteries, true crime. And once you put me back into a period piece with those old flapper 1920s era time frame, you got me. I'm all yours. So let me tell you about this game called June's Journey. We're going to escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. As you immerse yourself into the world of June's Journey, a hidden object mystery mobile game that puts your detective skills to the test. Play as June Parker and investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s while uncovering the mystery of her sister's murder. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Now, one thing I like is that it sharpens your vision to look for objects, in case I, I ever make it on uh, one of these reality contest shows, I got to harness my puzzle my puzzle skills and my visual acuity. And, and I, I learned what a pavilion, <laughs> when I was playing the game, I learned what a pavilion was. It's, it's basically a gazebo. I didn't know that. So I'm learning. All right. In each level, you search for hidden objects in New York parlors or, or uh, Paris sidewalks. Trying to figure out this scandalous family secret of how June's sister died. It's got some mystery. It's got some danger. It's got some romance. I got the game on my phone right now, and I'm on chapter three, and I'm looking for clues on this crime scene photo because we're gonna we're gonna figure out who did this. And you're gonna love it. They play real like mad chill music, so it's kind of relaxing too. You get to customize your little luxurious estate with gardens and buildings and such. So look, if you're into detective work, solving clues, finding clues, scandalous family secrets, uh, you just want a fun little escape from the dreaded day job or whatever, this is your game. I enjoy playing it at the end of the day when I'm chilling in bed trying to unwind because it's just a nice little escape kind of game for me. And not only that, poor June, she needs my help to figure out how her sister died. And guess what? June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS.
0: An Android.
1: On Instagram at Isaac Weishop. Description uh, or the uh, link is in the show note description there or on IlluminatiWatcher.com. And he wakes up inside this coffin underground. Yes, this is the initiatory thing. This is the Freemasonic deal. This is just like the skull and bones where they initiate you in the coffin. You have to face death to be reborn. This goes all the way back to uh, they claim Plato or uh, Pythagoras was. Doing this same stuff, they were burying folks underneath the pyramids of Giza in Egypt for three days, resurrecting them with a new world view, and that's kind of what Alice in Wonderland attempts to do in ninety minutes. Now, what's curious is you see that same symbolism, like uh, Mac Miller. His last video had him waking up in a coffin before he died. Triple X Temptation, last video, he's in a coffin. I mean, all these guys, all these rappers getting killed. So, yeah, it's a Freemasonic Secret Society initiation to wake up underground to face death in order to be reborn into the new way, to be initiated. Now, Nicholas is, like, broke. His accounts got drained. All he's got is his father's watch, so he hawks it to get across the border. And a subtle thing happens in the movie. He's on this you know, sweaty Mexican bus that he gave up his last uh, you know last remembrance of his father with his gold watch. It's worth lots of money. and he almost cracks a smile. If you look for it, he almost cracks a smile. He's at his lowest point, and he smiles because he is becoming enlightened. He's moving past the material the material aspects of this world and becoming enlightened. This is the initiation. So he hitchhikes into Cali, begs a ride for San Francisco. Remember, he's broke, so he's hitchhiking, makes it home, and finds out his property's been foreclosed. He's, he's lost everything. He's Job at this point. But again, no Christian references in the movie. He's not literally Job finding eternal life through christ okay and he goes to visit his ex-wife to borrow her car so he can go find conrad who's now in a mental hospital and he apologizes to her and he's starting to make amends because he's faced death much like scrooge and when he talks to the christmas future now he's ready to make amends he's like man i've been living wrong this whole time So he heads out, and he goes to a zoo to track down the guy who took his application at CRS. And I want you to hear this clip here, and you're going to hear some things that are obviously referencing the control system of the Illuminati.
0: Look, uh, it was just a job. Nothing personal. You know, I I play my part, improvise a little. I mean, it's what I'm good at. I need to talk. Who's in charge? Nobody knows. I mean, nobody gets a big picture. Hey, Tammy, Alex, cut it out. It. Why do they do the that? Offices are empty. I need to find out where they are. Look, they own the whole building. They just move from floor to floor. And you work for them, right? You can get me in. No, I can't. Oh, yes, I'm... you can tell him uh, the police called uh, you gotta speak to somebody tell him uh, I'm gonna blow the whistle on them what whistle there's no fucking whistle this is very dangerous I don't think that you understand
1: right now I am extremely dangerous so yeah he's like He's like, hey, where are them CRS guys? And uh, the dude that worked there is like, hey, nobody knows who they are. They're the faceless people at the top of the pyramid. He says they move from floor to floor and that's, uh, it's dangerous to try to figure out who they are. And that sounds exactly like the control system of the Illuminati. The pyramid of control. With the idea, and David Icke explains this the best, I believe. It's like when you're at a bank. The bank tellers don't know what the bank manager does, and the bank manager doesn't know what the uh, bank owner does, and the bank owner doesn't know what the CEO does. Like, you're stuck to your level of awareness. So anyway, Nicholas, he takes the guy at gunpoint, and he forces him to open up the studios of CRS, because, you know, it's a bunch of people acting. So he he, he gets to the floor where the CRS moved to, And it's just like the Truman Show, where the gig is up and everyone's like, Oh, okay. Oh, crap. The guy caught us. He's behind the scenes now. And the security guards come at him with the assault rifles, and they chase him to the roof. He goes, full Karen. He wants to talk to the manager. And he's like, hey, I saw CRS kill actual people. This isn't a game. This is real. And she's like, well, what did you see? What did you really see? You know, Christine, the server. Because it's an illusion. It's Hollywood. And he's, you know, he's busting caps and he accidentally shoots Conrad, who's coming through the door to help surprise him with a birthday party. But the, uh, the, the main takeaway here is that It's an analogy for the real world. It's an illusion. And we're going to get into Dave Chappelle here in just a second, because that is very relevant to what we talked about with him about two years ago. So Nicholas, he's full of grief because he accidentally shot his brother because he got paranoid and lost his mind. And he goes to jump off the roof, jump to his death, and he jumps from the top of this building and actually crashes through the roof of a, a part of the building that's a convention hall at a, on a lower roof and but it has a, uh, has a blow up landing pad inside of it and he lives he faced literal death and now he is fully initiated a life changing event as his brother promised at the beginning of the movie and of course he finds out that his brother didn't really die that was staged as well Conrad confirms it's a life changing event and he's like hey I had to do something you were becoming such an asshole and that's kind of how how the movie ends but what I was saying with the unsolved mystery show this is just like Ray Rivera's story did this guy think he was being initiated did Ray Rivera think he was going through an initiation like the occultists do like Nicholas does in the game Rivera had the game listed on his movies to watch list there on his suicide note, which isn't really a suicide note. It was like a kind of a weird note he left behind. I mean, it's almost the verbatim way that he died. And in fact, the language on the letter suggests that um, he was taking part of a game or establishing a game. I'm going to go back. Let me read to you from it. I'm going to read you from the note. I'm going to go to my notes from the previous show. He says, Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. Freemason term. That was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who participated. I hope you enjoyed it, but it was time to wake up. So here I am. I'd like to welcome those who accepted our invitations for membership during the game. We couldn't have done it without you. So, the question is Did they have a game that they were playing and he didn't, something went wrong and everyone else is trying to disavow it because they don't want to be held liable for murder? He was into all these secret societies and these Freemason things. It's very possible. Now, this movie is a narrative on power structures. A narrative on the powers of Hollywood and media to present false flags. Misleading narratives. Red herrings. And if you uh, listen, take a look at the lyrics for uh, Bullet in the Head. I'm going to pull it up for you. Rage Against the Machine, Bullet in the Head. And this is where I get a lot of my, you know, when I was, gosh, I was just a wee lad in junior high when Rage Against the Machine came out and it blew my mind. And they were filling, me, filling my head with all their socialist ideas. And I don't say I subscribe to everything they say, but like I have a general sort of distrust of corporations and all this stuff because of, you know, because of them, but because I, th- I do subscribe to a lot of what they're saying. And when they talk in the lyrics here, I'm going to find it for you here. The lyrics they say, and this is a narrative on the media being used to manipulate us. Said they pack the nine, they fire it at prime time. The sleeping gas, every home is like Alcatraz. And mother effers lost their minds. No escape from the mass mind rape. Play it again, Jack, and then rewind the tape and then play it again and again and again. Believe in all the lies that they're telling you, buying all the products that they're selling you. Because that's the name of the game here. And they kind of focus their efforts on Nicholas in order to initiate him into this next level. And what's very curious, you got to stay to the end of the movie. Cause after everything's said and done, he's like, where's the old girl from crash. She, She's a freak. I think you freaky. And he goes and tracks her down and she's getting in a cab. She's like, Hey, I got a gig in Australia. I got to bounce. And, and then um, he says something very curious this newly initiated Nicholas, he says, you have to shear some more sheep, huh? What do you think that means? You have to shear more sheep. What? What's the reference for? Well, I'll tell you what the reference is. It's a Freemasonic term to shear the sheep. That's why their aprons that they wear are made from lambskin. The Christians are the sheep to be deceived. They look at themselves at a higher level of elitism. And in Freemasons, it's the first gift bestowed by the master mason upon a newly initiated apprentice. So that's the confirmation that this is a Freemasonic initiation movie. When, the, when the, the elite men tell him that their eyes will be open. It's not a Christian reference. It's a Luciferian reference to the serpent. And then at the very end, the music for the White Rabbit song cues up. And is like, and Christine's like, hey, Nicholas, you want to join me for some coffee? He's like, I sure do. I sure do. And then he's off. And he's off to help initiate another one. He's now in the group, in the circle. Now, Dave Chappelle. We're moving right along because we got a lot to go through here. Dave Chappelle, I talked about this on a very popular show and video I did about two years ago, year and a half ago, something like that, a Netflix special he did called The Bird Revelation. He told you why he went to South Africa. He told you why he left Hollywood, why he left millions of dollars on the table. He, um, and I'm going to play the clip for you here, but he, he basically talks, he compares it to a story about a pimp faking a death to get a few more tricks out of his hoe and on this clip you're gonna hear he's finishing up the tail end of a conversation talking about how we need to be more forgiving of people and if we really want to break the control system we need imperfect allies and I think that's a narrative against the cancel culture which I support 100% you I always talk about it if someone's willing to ask forgiveness and recognize their flaws, We need to forgive them, and I don't want to get too religious on you here, but as good Christians, we are told to forgive other people. Now, when someone makes a big mistake, you're also supposed to forgive that. We all fall short of the glory of God, they say. And that's what Dave Chappelle's saying. He's saying we don't cancel people and get rid of them, because guess what? No one's perfect. Everyone's got skeletons in their closet. Everyone. I'm not saying that we you know let Epstein out of jail or whatever Not assuming he's in jail or assuming he's not dead you know what I'm saying but let's get back on Chappelle I'm getting lost here he said that he said on the show he says I can't tell you exactly what happened but there's a book that encapsulates my entire experience with Hollywood and he's talking about when he left the Chappelle show which was a huge show at the time massive show I would argue, the funniest, best show on television of all time. And he left and had a breakdown and went to South Africa. That's what the media told us. Said he lost his mind. And he tells this story from a book called Pint by Iceberg Slim. And he says, literally, quite tell, literally tells you, this is the analogy for why he went. Now, the points to pay attention to here. I'm going to give you the points here before we go into it. Well, no, I'm gonna I'm going to let you hear it. And then we're gonna recap. This is gonna be about a 10-minute clip, okay? So, like if you don't if you don't want to listen to it, you gotta skip ahead about 10 minutes. So you've been warned. So here we go.
2: We should forgive the ones of us that are weaker and support the ones of us that are stronger. And then we can beat the thing. You guys keep going after individuals, the system is going to stay intact. You have to have men on your side. And it, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a lot of imperfect allies. I'll tell you what happened, but I can't say it directly. There's a book to me that encapsulates my entire experience before I left the show. And the book is called Pimp. It's written by a guy named Iceberg Slim. Here, bring it up here. This is Matthew. Matthew was from France. He's white. (laughs) And yet, he has an original copy of this book written by a black American who was a pimp in the 40s. Iceberg Slim. His real name was Robert Beck. He got the name Iceberg because he was in a bar in Chicago when there was a shootout in the bar and a bullet went through this nigga's hat and he still finished his drink. Pimps love shit like that. They said, man, you ice cold. And he said, I like that. And it stuck. This book is so heavy in the front, it has a glossary of pimp terms because the ideas are so foreign to the American ears. For instance, do you know what the phrase mileage on a hoe means? (laughs) Of course you don't. Mileage on a hoe is a very wild concept. It means that pimps understand there's a finite amount of bad shit a person can do before they'll lose their fucking mind. And a good pimp can look at a woman that he's never seen before and call it, she's good for 500 fucks. That's her mileage. Anything over that, that bitch is gonna spill. They do it to you. Why the fuck you think most of us work from nine to five? It's nine to six. Might kill a bitch. <laughs> Iceberg Slim was the one that broke down. What a bottom bitch was. Does anyone know what a bottom bitch is? Anyone? What's a bottom bitch, sir?
1: It's your, uh, it's your prostitute. That's the best out of all of them. That brings in the most money.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. Are you black? <laughs> That's right, a bottom bitch is a pimp's number one hoe. She's even a bitch that helps him keep the other bitches in line. I will repeat, she's even a bitch that helps him keep the other bitches in line. The pimp was McDonald's, and the bottom bitches is is French fries. (laughs) The rest of them bitches is like fish sandwiches and cherry pies and shit like that. Iceberg Slim breaks down some of the coldest capitalist concepts I've ever heard in my life. He describes in detail how these men break women so that they will give them the money that they make with their own bodies. There's a story in here so cold it makes me shudder to think about it. Iceberg Slim is trying to control the woman that he finds uncontrollable. So he asks older pimp how he can rein her in. And the older pimp says, oh, that's easy, iceberg. All you have to do is beat that bitch with a coat hanger and then run her a bath and give her some pills. She'll be so grateful that you fixed her that she'll forget you were the motherfucker that beat her in the first place. That's some cold shit. Now, the end of this book, Iceberg Slim, tells a story. It's kind of the crescendo of the book. And in the story, Iceberg Slim's bottom bitch is at the end of a mileage. If she was good for 500 fucks, she was at 498. She was bubbling. You could see it. She was going crazy. She started saying all kinds of shit. Oh, I always wanted to be in circus. Circus, this bitch is losing. I can juggle too, you know. Juggle. He had to let her it go. It's hard to let her go a bottom bitch go. And he wasn't ready to let her go because his organization couldn't handle losing her. But she didn't know that. She didn't know how important she was. So what he did was he called her to a niner. He said, look, bitch, you and I gotta part ways. She said, fine, motherfucker. I don't need you anyway because I know somebody at Ringling Brothers. She's like, all right, bitch, whatever. (laughs) I got one last trick for you. It's a big money trick. You do this for me, you get paid. I get paid, and we go our separate ways. He said, "Fine, motherfucker. What do you want me to do?" He said, "Okay, there's a guy in that hotel across the street. He's waiting for you in room number seven. Once you to go over there, and I want you to fuck him. But before you do, I need you to put some of this stuff in his drink. And then he's gonna fall asleep. When he does, there's a briefcase on his bed. Bring the briefcase to me." That's the trick, bitch. Can you handle it? She said, Fuck yeah, I can handle it. And I can't wait to get rid of you. And she ran outside, jumped on a unicycle, and pedaled across the street. <laughs> and Iceberg washer. her. He was like, Man, she's pretty good. <laughs> Man, if I never jerked off in her face, maybe she would have been in the circus right now. She runs up to the motel steps, and she disappears in the room number seven, and she's gone for a real long time. Real long time. So long, in fact, that Iceberg got a little worried. But then, suddenly, she came back. <gasps> He said, what's going on, bitch? Where's the briefcase? She said, I didn't get it, Daddy. He said, what do you mean you didn't get the briefcase, bitch? What's wrong with you? She said, I I did everything you said, but but that man don't look right. Something's something wrong, Daddy. He said, what do you mean something's wrong, bitch? Did you put that stuff in his drink? She said, I did everything you said, Daddy. I put all of it in his drink. He said, wait a minute, bitch. Wait a minute. You put all of it in his drink? Now he had to see for himself. Two of them go across the street to the motel and they go into room number seven and on the bed, laying lifelessly, is the white man that she was supposed to fuck. And I said, you're right, bitch. She don't look good. What the fuck? So he called a friend of his that was a doctor that was close by. And The doctor came in, gave the guy a thorough examination and told them both what was obvious. Slim, this motherfucker is dead. Oh, God, daddy. Oh, no. Oh, no, we killed him. He said, calm down, bitch. We didn't do anything. <laughs> you killed this motherfucker. And then he reached on the bed and he grabbed the briefcase. He popped it open. It was filled with money. More money than any of them ever seen. And Eichberg took a little bit of the money and gave it to the doctor. And the doctor left discreetly. All right, bitch, let me think. <sighs> I can fix this for you. Somebody I can call, but if I call him, I'm gonna owe oh, these motherfuckers a big favor. Oh God, Daddy, please! I don't want to go to jail. Neither do I, bitch. So will you shut up. I picked up the phone. She heard him mumbling in the phone a little bit. He hung up the phone, and she was pacing the room, and he was just standing there cool. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and then suddenly. A van pulled up downstairs. Two guys get out with a carpet. They walk upstairs. They roll that carpet out on the floor. They throw the body in the carpet. They roll that motherfucker up like a burrito. They pick that shit up, and they throw it in the back of the van. They come back up, and Iceberg opens the briefcase again and gives them a little money. He says, I'll get in touch with you guys later. They say, you're not going to get in touch with us at all. We'll find you. He said, whatever, nigga. And they bounced. (laughs) Oh God, Daddy, oh God. He says, relax, bitch. Listen, we're getting the fuck out of here. You go downstairs, you get the car, we gotta leave separately. She went, she got the car. Iceberg grabbed that briefcase, waited a few minutes, looked out the window, and then he went down with her. They both got in the car and they drove off. She was a blubbering mess. Oh. Oh, you did all this shit. He said, I told you, bitch, we didn't do anything. <laughs> You killed a motherfucker and I cleaned him up. And now we got a secret, okay? I know I'm not gonna tell, bitch. It's you? Oh no, I ain't gonna tell. He said, All right, baby, cool. I'm gonna need you to stay with me for a while till this shit cools down. She goes, okay, okay, okay. That's the game. That's how the whole shit works, ladies. You understand? This bitch was at the end of a mileage. She was at 498. She ended up tricking for Iceberg for another six months. She must have turned another 200 tricks for him. Do you understand? Some cold shit. And the cold shit about it is that the dead guy on the bed wasn't even dead at all. This motherfucker was just a friend of icebergs acting like he's asleep. The doctor wasn't a doctor. It was a motherfucking butcher that happened to have a white coat. And the dudes who came in the moving van clothes was dressed like movers because they were movers. Iceberg had gotten a new apartment. <laughs> and the bag of money was Iceberg's money in the first place. The money he got from all those women. That's a cold game. That's the motherfucking capital's manifesto. And that's why I went to South Africa. So now we got us a little secret, bitch.
1: Now let's recap what he talked about. He talked about the mileage on a hoe. There's only so much bad stuff a per- person can witness before they lose their mind. He's talking about how Hollywood abuses people, and he compares it to the same idea of us working nine to five. They, there's a, there's uh what do you call it? Diminishing returns. Like you can't have someone work fifteen twenty hours a day every day. Like. As slaves, you'd break them before you got you get more life out of them if you, you know, only worked them nine to five, the max mileage us hoes can have, and that's why all these celebrities like Britney Spears, who I'm going to talk about on a future show here, she's back in the news for some weird stuff going on. That's where you get all these MK Ultra theories from about these celebrities. Justin Bieber's crying his eyes out for uh, Billy Eilish. Why? Why does all this stuff happen? Because they're witnessing or being subjected to horrific abuse. That's the theory. Then he talks about how pimps will break a woman to be their literal slave. He says you beat them, then you take care of them. And then the, the woman believes that you're fixing them. So she's so grateful that you're taking care of her that she'll forget who put her in that position. And uh, then he talks about the bottom bitch. It's the foundation of pimping. She keeps all the other hoes in line. This was Dave Chappelle. And the industry saw Chappelle was down to his last bit of mileage. He was getting burned out, so they tried to keep him going. They were like, uh, "One more thing, and then you're you're free to go, sir." And this thing, this is the secret that he can't reveal. I would argue, and you know, I'm not I'm not always in lockstep with the QAnon folks. But I would argue that this could very well be the adrenochrome thing, which ties us into the White Rabbit, by the way, because that's what the, the Q folks keep talking about, this follow the White Rabbit, follow the White Rabbit, and I think most of that Q stuff is nonsense myself, but but yeah, what, what did Dave Chappelle see? That they tried to push more mileage out of this guy. In the story, the hoe was misled to think she killed a man so that the pimp could keep using her for his own ends. And it was all staged. It was all tricks, deception with actors like the doctor, the dead guy, the cleaners that take the body out, all to make her believe she really actually killed a man. And she was scared that she would go to jail. So he keeps saying that she was the killer. He's uh, she's repeating the same message and mantra over and over, telling her it's her fault. And he says he can help her with it. But now it's their little secret and she kept working for him working for the industry for the system because of a illusion a magical illusion of something horrific being used as a control system. So did Dave Chappelle leave because they put him in a compromised position but he was reading through the deception because he had read the book. Did they try to get him to do some kind of Epstein-related stuff, the the Frazzle drip stuff? Did they put him on the show to, uh, or did they put the uh, a sort of coordinated show on to try to deceive him? And that's why he just left. And this is all exactly what is told to Nicholas by Christine in the game right before he jumps to death. It's the same argument.
0: Alright. What do you think you're doing? You tell me! Who's behind this? Who did this to me? Why? What do you mean why? Who is responsible How for this? Can you be? It wasn't you. It wasn't personal
1: to have been any asshole with a couple hundred million in the bank get on that radio all right you get your boss up here you tell him i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot somebody oh my god call nicholas they won't do oh, it yes they will you get somebody up here because i'm gonna kill you. you don't care about me nicholas they'll let me die you're not in a position to threaten anyone Wait a minute, where'd you get that
2: what the, that gun that's that's not an automatic
1: the fuck are you talking about where'd guard had an automatic where'd you get the gun this is my gun
2: we researched the house well, I guess you missed this, didn't you? Well, the situation up here, we gotta real goddamn gun up. Oh, what are you Nicholas, it's fake. It's part of your game. Don't you listen. start with no, no, me now! To me. Don't listen you fucking me. I'm start telling you with the me! Truth now! This
0: is all the game. Bullshit, all right? Bullshit. I know what happened that guy. They shot that guy, fine goldfish, and then they killed Think him. Think about it. What did you I see? I saw them kill him. You no, know, what did you really, really
1: see this whole time? Special effects, squibs, squibs, like in the movies. Back it
2: Nicholas? Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas, listen. <laughs> This you know, have got a real gun. This goddamn bullet's
1: up there. Okay, okay, I'll put
2: it down.
0: Mindful, right. Mr. Fisher,
1: he's on the other side of that door. He's an actor. You're trying to kill me. No one's trying to kill you, Nicholas. Please put that gun down.
2: You're
0: about to make the biggest mistake of your life, Nicholas. There, there was always a safety net. The taxi. There was a diver in my house. They, they just shot at us with blanks. Is that true? It is. It's what you hired us for. But they're waiting on the other side of that door with champagne, Nicholas. Please, <laughs> goddamn it, Conrad. Conrad's there. It's your birthday party. You stop flying.
2: Let me show you. Don't you move. He's
0: got a gun. Get back from the door.
1: So, in conclusion, recall the episode of the Unsolved Mysteries where I talked to you about Ray Rivera. His death was very similar to the initiatory stage death of what we saw in the game. the Now, in the book, it says that he actually landed feet first. Okay, this is the book about Ray Rivera's death. I know I'm switching gears on you. I don't want to lose you. We're going to briefly look at Ray Rivera so we can conclude that discussion. And I'm going to read you from the book about Ray Rivera's death. Given his landing place almost 40 feet from the wall of the Belvedere and the fact that he landed feet first, it seems impossible that Ray Rivera was pushed directly from the roof. I learned this from Rod Cross, a retired forensic physicist affiliated with the University of Sydney and one of the world's leading experts on falls from a height. A feet first jump usually results in a feet first landing unless it's a low speed somersault or a head first dive, Cross told me. A push from shoulder height would result in significant rotation through the air. For Rivera to land where he did, Cross concluded that he had to have taken a running jump. I think Rivera got out on that 11th story ledge, ran and jumped. Because he was under some kind of pretense that it was part of the initiation, just like he saw in the game And I don't know if he had mental issues. They claim he didn't. Which then leads me to think that maybe he was part of a a group of people that were doing this kind of stuff. And he was trying to impress them by showing that he could face death, but didn't make it. Maybe he thought he could live with that kind of jump. I don't know. It sounds bizarre, but I'm just trying to put these pieces together because the game has a lot of similarities to Ray Rivera's death. Now, to overall conclude this movie the game is telling us the same story that dave Chappelle is telling us it's giving us free masonic initiation ceremony stuff it's talking about the eyes being opened it's talking about the sheep being sheared it's a film about the elite power structures and the illuminati i hope you enjoyed that show I got photos of the things I'm talking about on the Instagram where I post all my photos and videos of the show. Instagram at Isaac Weishaupt. Link is always in the show notes and on the website, IlluminatiWatcher.com. If you want to support the show, Patreon.com backslash Illuminati Watchers, where you can do that and you get all kinds of freebies, all kinds of perks. I bet I give you more perks than any other Patreon creator on there. I'll bet you that. I'll bet you. Prove me wrong, I got all the goodies on there for you, all the perks, check it out, patreon.com backslash Illuminati Watcher, and until next time, my friends, stay woke.